0: The Church of England is currently passing through the time of its calendar, known as ordinary time. And as a church, St. Luke's have agreed that we would spend this reflecting on the fact that we are not in ordinary times at all. Outside of my day job in mental health, I'm a coordinator of the Christian arm of, the Christian arm of Extinction Rebellion, which goes by the name of Christian Climate Action. For the first half of this talk, I'm gonna be exploring the role that nonviolent direct action plays in change-making. In the second half, I'm gonna draw inspiration from two holy figures who used and embody nonviolent direct action. Jesus Christ and Phil Kingston, who we saw just now in that video and who I consider to be a modern-day prophet. So we are living in a time of climate emergency which is already having devastating effects to the poorest communities around the world. However, this is something which at some point will affect us all. Scientists have said that if we don't act now, we could have climate breakdown as early as 2030 to 2040. If we allow the fabrics of our planetary system to keep degrading, our planet will be uninhabitable for life as we know it. I think it's important to acknowledge how this makes us feel. It doesn't sit very well, does it? We might feel that kind of tightness in our chest, kind of a sickness in our stomach. We might get kind of a sense of desperation, anger, hopelessness. In my job in the NHS, I see people who are seeking therapeutic support because they are so distressed about what is happening to our world. It's emotionally really difficult to process. And when something is so immensely difficult for us to comprehend, it can be easy to go into a state of denial, to kind of procrastinate, downplay the intensity of the situation that we're in, or or offer half-baked solutions. I've heard people reluctant to paint the science of climate change in its stark reality, saying that as Christians, we're meant to be hopeful. But denial is not hope. Real hope needs to be bedded in truth. We need to do the hard work of sitting with the pain that our situation is causing us and give time to that grieving process. We need to grieve with God everything from his creation that we have lost and all that we stand to lose. Only through that Can we be ready to comprehend what real hope might look like? And how we can take meaningful action to make that a reality. Because if we don't take action now, we are the last generation who can. And young people are pleading for us to act. Because it's their futures that are at stake. Greta Thunberg says that she wants us to panic. She wants us to act as though our house is on fire. A justice issue is already happening across our very dinner tables. Every minute that we do not take action is a minute that we're putting our own desires above the needs of children. And scientists have said that we need change in unprecedented speed and scale if we stand any chance of tackling this climate emergency. That is the challenge that we have in front of us. So how do we create this unprecedented change? Well, for years, we have been told two ways. Firstly, that we each need to look at our individual lifestyles, that we need to eat less meat, buy clothes from a charity shop, that we need to take the train instead of drive. The other thing that we've been told is that we need to be appealing to those in power. You know, sign this petition, write that letter to your MP, go on that climate march. It's important for us to acknowledge that focusing on these two solutions has not worked it's not created the change that is needed I'm not saying that we shouldn't be carrying out lifestyle changes reducing our carbon footprint on God's beautiful creation is something that we do need to do in order to honor and worship God however we need to recognize that purely focusing on these two methods of change is not going to prevent climate breakdown definitely not at the speed and scale that we need it to So what does work? Well, if we look back at the social justice movements over the last 200 years, the American civil rights movement, the struggle for suffrage, for example, research shows that change didn't just happen. Research shows that it happens because ordinary people like you and me took the decision to get involved in nonviolent direct action. And not only that, research shows that it was actually only around 3.5% of the population that had to do that. And I think if we just reflect over the last year, you know, we can see the transformational power that nonviolent direct action has. In just the short time that we had the Extinction Rebellion and the school strikes have been active, climate change has gone from a marginalized, almost taboo issue To being the core topic in the news and having UK MPs passing a motion to declare a climate emergency. What this means is the important question is no longer do you believe in climate change. We don't need everyone to agree with us and quite frankly we don't have time. We only need 3.5 percent of the population to create the change needed. So the question is are those of us who do care about climate change willing to take meaningful action? And if not, then who are we saying are the people to be carrying that burden? You know, we can hold these images in our head of what a protester looks like. Someone who is older than me, someone who is younger than me, someone who is different to me. But it's not about who we are, but it's, it's about what we choose. Christian Climate Action is made up of people aged 21 to 86. We are all of different Christian denominations. We're made up of parents, grandparents, members of clergy. Some of us are retired, and some of us take action around our jobs and other life commitments. The second reading today was words from Phil Kingston, who, as well as being one of my best friends, is one of the most gentle current-day prophets that I know. Phil is an ex-parole officer and university lecturer. He is 84 years old. There are so many reasons that Phil could think of for why it shouldn't be him to take action. However, Phil has been arrested five times since the beginning of the Extinction Rebellion protests in November of last year. He's been involved in the blocking of bays, blocking roads, And in April, he climbed on top of the Canary Wharf DLR and spoke the truth about the funding of fossil fuels by our financial district. His actions of words have made headline news around the world. And it does affect him. He has issues with mobility, and it can get physically difficult with the police sometimes. But as Phil said earlier, he does it for his grandchildren because of that love And as a follower of Christ, and as followers of Christ, I think we can intrinsically understand that that love is kind of interwoven with sacrifice. Martin Luther King highlighted many times in his speeches the fact that justice requires sacrifice. And we may not not all be ready to sacrifice like people like Phil do, to to spend time in police custody. I'm not ready. I understand that civil disobedience is a vital component of what causes social change, and I see the value that it brings, but I don't feel ready to make that sacrifice right now. The majority of the roles within Extinction Rebellion are non-arrestable, and I've learned to sit with my decision that my sacrifice at the moment is the time and the energy that I'm giving around my job. But it, did, it, it took me a while to come to terms with that, Because the truth is that when we are not willing to take that sacrifice, we are passing that burden over to children and the poorest communities around the world. That is what we're seeing now. Children are having to break the law and skip school. And in communities on the front line, people are losing their lives, pushing to protect the environment which they need to sustain themselves. Carrying out nonviolent direct action might seem unsavory to some people, but it it is integral to the character of Christ that we follow. Theologian Walter Wink writes amazing things about how Jesus inherently lays out the principles of nonviolent direct action when he teaches and speaks to the crowds about how to act in such a way that not only exposes oppressive societal laws, but acts to invert the power dynamics at play. I remember the first time that I heard properly the story of the first reading, that Jesus went into the temple and that he was so pained by the injustice that he saw there, that the poor were being exploited, that he turned over the tables of the moneylenders, drove people out of the temple, and that he spoke truth to the crowds. And he did that knowing that it was going to lead not only to his arrest, but his death. I remember thinking, you know, that is bravery, and that is integrity. When doing an action recently, one member of Christian Climate Action was involved in a lock-on, so that's when you kind of physically attach yourself to the people next to you to create a a kind of human barrier. And, um, And so one of the members of Christian Climate Action is called Martin, and a policeman kind of looked at him, and seeing that he was a Catholic priest, because, you know, he was dressed in the appropriate attire, um, kind of asked him, you know, what are you doing on this lock-on? And um, so Martin kind of took the opportunity to talk to him about Jesus in the temple. And the policeman just kind of looked at him stunned and was like, "We well, you know, if, if Jesus did that now, he'd be done for criminal damage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jesus is, is really gritty. And for me, the most beautiful thing about that final act of civil disobedience that Jesus did was that he did it even though he was terrified. That is how much he loved us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke's gospel tells us about Jesus that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. People's sweat turning to blood is a very rare phenomenon but there is documented cases of it happening under situations of extreme stress, such as people being condemned to execution. Every time that I take communion, I think back to what the Last Supper was in its kind of very basic sense. Jesus saying goodbye to his closest friends. Because he knew the ultimate consequence for his actions was his arrest and his death. And that in that time he was going through the emotional process of not only coming to terms with the own fear, of his own fear that he was feeling, but also comforting his friends as well. For me, my identity as a Christian is intrinsic to my identity as an activist. And I feel exceptionally lucky to be part of an activist group who I see as my day-to-day church. We kind of do nonviolent direct action as part of our worship. So we eat together, we cry together, Before and at each of our demonstrations, we pray, we sing hymns, we plan actions, and we do actions. And I found some of the times where I've been doing these actions as some of the times where kind of I've seen as my most spiritual experiences. There was a situation recently where members of Christian Climate Action were blockading a road in order to cause economic disruption to urge the government to take action on climate change. Some members were lying down in the road, physically locked on, so they had chains connecting them to each other on their wrists, and they had plastic tubing over the top of that. And around us, some people started gathering and praying. So as the police started coming over and trying to kind of disperse the group, you could hear the soft mutterings of prayer, which created this beautiful peacefulness. And then the police started the process of sawing through the plastic tubing with a tiny little handheld electric saw. And there was just this thick stillness in the air. All the sounds of London drowned away and over the sounds of this little handheld electric saw, there there slowly starts to rise the song Amazing Grace. Both Christians and non-Christians singing it together. It was beautiful. Beautiful. And I feel like tackling this climate emergency is something that the church should be leading on. It's something that we are so equipped to grapple with. We have a Holy Spirit who comforts us as we cry for all that we are losing. We have a Christ who shows us the meaning of sacrificial love. And a God who sustains us to take action. And who reminds us that in these desperate times, we are called to be faithful not successful. Finally, we have a heritage of pushing for justice. Our actions today stand on the shoulders of a long line of inspirational people who don't just want us to say their quotes, but to walk in their footsteps. Amen.